0: If you want to learn about this part of the world, then you got to be in this part of the world. There is something to be said about reading about it, and there's something to be said about visiting, but there's a wholly different thing when you live in it and you serve in it and then you operate in it.
1: Welcome to AUSA's Army Matters Podcast, focusing on what's important to the total Army community. We bring vital Army conversations and interviews on issues relevant to soldiers, military families, and all of you amazing Army supporters. Rotating each week, our show includes Soldier Today, leading great teams, family voices, and thought leaders. Let's tune into the show.
2: Hello, everyone. I'm Sergeant Major of the Army Retired, Dane Daly, and welcome to today's episode of Soldier Today. If you're a regular listener to this podcast, you know that we've spoken quite a bit about the threat of China and the growing fear in not only Asia, but the world. My guest today, General Charles Flynn, has a major leadership role in ensuring the U.S. Army is able to ensure stability and counter China's growing presence in the Asia-Pacific. In his 37-year career, General Flynn has served in a variety of command, staff, and leadership positions, and in June of last year became the Commanding General of the U.S. Army Pacific, stationed at Fort Shafter, Hawaii. General Flynn is here to talk about the importance of the Asia-Pacific, what the quality of life is like for soldiers in the region and what keeps him up at night. General Flynn, welcome to the podcast.
0: Thanks, our Major. Great to see you again. And I appreciate the opportunity to uh, talk with you and your audience.
2: Sir, thanks. We know you're busy. I'd like to begin, as we always do here, by getting to know our guest. Could you share with us a little bit about yourself? Where'd you grow up and what inspired you to become a soldier?
0: Yeah, well, I'm the eighth of nine, brothers and sisters, so five boys, four girls. My father was uh, drafted and fought in the uh, Second World War in Korea, served 20 years in the Army, retired as a master sergeant, and my uncle Frank was a Naval Academy uh, graduate. He was uh, going to graduate in the class of 42. He ended up graduating in December of 41. My father was a sophomore in high school in 1941. And I just often remember him saying when I was a child, like we all knew what we were doing after December 7, 1941. So it's a stark reminder of uh, that era and the uh, really responsibility to serve. And I think that that, I know that had an impact on me as a young, uh, young man. And so when I went to college. I uh, didn't have a whole lot of money. So ROTC was a nice way of being able to offset that uh, part of, of college. And uh, so both my father and my Uncle Frank were really, I think, uh, role models in being able to uh, continue that service. And I'm glad I made the decision to do it.
2: Let's jump in to the Pacific. Big place. Why is the Pacific a consequential place for soldiers to serve right now and in the future?
0: As I tell everyone, the geostrategic weight of the century remains here in the Asia-Pacific because of the number of countries, the population, and the economic weight. And if you add that to the threats that are here, they uh, exist around the Communist Chinese Party and the PLA, North Korea. You have four of the five threats. Six out of 10 people on the planet live out here. And in short order, seven out of 10 people on the planet are going to live out here. And so the stakes are very high in this region for this century, and they are extremely high for the United States and uh, a free and open Indo-Pacific, which is a
2: is really essential for democracies throughout the globe. Sir, as you pointed out, six out of 10 people in the world live in the region. That's a mind boggling figure. I'm sure many people just think of the oceans when they hear Asia Pacific. But could you clarify how big this region actually is?
0: I guess what I would say is, even though the theater is named after two oceans, it also has two continents, Asia, And then the Australian continent. And those two continents are connected by an archipelago land bridge called Southeast Asia, which is, you know, essentially the countries of Malaysia, Indonesia, Brunei, Singapore, Timor-Leste, Papua New Guinea, the Philippines. And that runs, you know, basically and connects uh, Asia to the continent of Australia. And what's at stake right now is their national sovereignty, and that national sovereignty is being violated over a competition for fresh water, food, minerals to run factories, and then their ability to actually protect their people so that they can maintain a stable environment, uh, keep people working and looking after their borders to protect their national sovereignty. So. Um, that's what's at stake out here.
2: You know, I got assigned to Korea in 1996 and and like everybody, I thought, oh my gosh, I'm going to Korea. I'm not going to like this. And after 12 months, even though it was a hardship tour, I got done. That was the most developing time of my career. The time that I spent up there by the DMZ. And I'll tell you, it grew me as a leader and it's incredible. Uh, And what thought was going to be my toughest tour turned out to be my, one of my most rewarding are there any special or unique training or assignment opportunities particular to the U.S. Pacific that soldiers couldn't get in another theater of operation?
0: Absolutely. I mean, I, I'll i start with Alaska and Hawaii. So uh, the Northern Warfare Training School there in Alaska uh, with the uh, 11th Airborne Division, you know, high altitude, extreme cold weather, mountainous, right? And then here in Hawaii, we have the Jungle Operations Training Center, tropical, jungle, archipelago environment. From those two schools, generally, we send them to schools in the region, like the jungle course in the Philippines or the jungle course in Brunei or the northern warfare uh, schools in India. And so these are all very, very unique uh, opportunities. And like you mentioned in Korea, you know, being able to live and serve in Korea where, you know, every day is a fight tonight type of environment. Mm-hmm. Not just because of what's across the DMZ in Korea, but now what is also on a flank with uh, uh, the PRC. You know, along that border also sits Russia. So you know, right there in Korea, you've got all three of those uh, threats that are staring down your barrel. If you want to learn about this part of the world, then you've got to be in this part of the world. There is something to be said about reading about it. And there's something to be said about visiting, but there's a wholly different thing when you live in it and you serve in it and then you operate in it. And I think that that's an important part uh, that much of our Army needs to begin to get better at because we have a lot to learn out here as an Army.
2: Sir, now you mentioned the 11th Airborne Division that's based in Alaska just a minute ago. It's gotten a lot of attention on the Internet and media lately. Can you tell us more about this new division and what were the challenges in creating it?
0: I think the exciting part here is, uh, first, it's a recognition that the Army wrote an Arctic strategy, and now it's the implementation of that strategy by uh, doing a conversion of these units so that they are um, Pacific-based but Arctic-capable. Those forces, as you might remember, Sergeant Major, we used to pack all their stuff up and send them back to Louisiana in the winter. Well, they no longer need to do that. Mm -hmm. They need to stay up there in the Arctic in the winter, and we need to regain our Arctic skills. And we're going to do that by the use and the expertise of those organizations in that environment and in those conditions, because we have a lot to learn as an army about operating at those altitudes, in those temperatures, and in those conditions. And the soldiers in that organization then recognize that, hey, my identity is I am an Arctic warrior. And my purpose every day is to get up and be the best at my Arctic skills, but then my uh, all of the skills that I have to be able to transition between in this environment across the Asia-Pacific. One reminder for people on your uh, on your podcast here is that actually you can get into the region quicker from Alaska than you can from Hawaii. It's a shorter flight because you're coming over the top of the globe. So their ability to actually get strategic reach into places like Japan, the Philippines and beyond is extraordinary. And I, I never forget also that they can get up into the Arctic and they can also get up into Europe because the distance is short of going over the top of the globe. Mm-hmm. Really excited about the work that they're doing up there.
2: Sir, I think you got the right leaders there. General Leifler was my commander, as I mentioned earlier, when I was stationed in Korea in 1996. My battalion commander's name was Lieutenant Colonel Brooks. And next door, another great gentleman that most people know today, Lieutenant Colonel Milley, now the chairman of the Joint Chief of Staff. We'll hear more from General Flynn, including what quality of life is like for soldiers in the region, just after the break.
1: Join AUSA, the Army's premier professional association and host of the largest land power exposition in the United States. AUSA is open to everyone, including all ranks and components. So whether you have a relationship with the U.S. Army or simply want to honor those who serve, you can learn more at AUSA.org join.
2: We're back and with General Flynn, the commander of the US Army Pacific. You know, when you went overseas to the Pacific, those of you that were stationed there generally couldn't stay there. You had to come back when you were completed with your tour of duty. So sir, is it possible for soldiers to stay in the Pacific region for consecutive tours or move between locations like Alaska to Korea or even Hawaii?
0: I encourage this. I know we're great distance from uh, the continental United States. But the assignments, as I mentioned earlier, are unique. They give you an opportunity to see a culture and to see parts of the world that you would otherwise not be exposed to. And I think that the gains that we're making in places like Korea and Japan and Alaska and Hawaii, and then really trying to improve things like housing, education, spouse employment, child care, And then the PCS moves that go on, I find it exciting. I think it's actually what soldiers came in the Army to do. They came in the Army to see the world and to see other parts of the world. There are wait lists, to be candid. But I also think that um, the three-year assignment here allows you uh, the opportunity to, to truly experience it. I think all the soldiers and their families would benefit from being here.
2: Sir, we both know the importance of role models for our soldiers, especially in their first few years of service. Are there any from your early years that stand out as having influence or impacted you?
0: Well, my dad, as I mentioned earlier, I I think that, you know, he was a role model, uh, not just as a father. But, you know, when I think back to some of the things that he talked to me about uh, when I was a young man or I was a ROTC cadet, about the army and the, you know, the relationship between the officer and the non-commissioned officer. I remember my ROTC uh, non-commissioned officer, a guy by the name of Sergeant First Class Kane, who was three tours in Vietnam. And I remember him, you know, pulling me aside a number of times and, you know, encouraging me, you know, to grow and develop and encouraged me to make sure that I. Demanded a great deal from my non-commissioned officers. I'm going to jump forward uh, real quickly to my my first sergeant when I was in second ranger battalion. A guy by the name of Hugh Roberts, I have profound respect for. He was uh, is an African American soldier. He came in at a time where he faced uh, some challenges, but he rose to you know ranger regimental sergeant major. And, um, I just felt he was a great role model, uh, because of the adversity that he'd, uh, endured, but the fact that he, um, stayed with it the whole time and, uh, didn't let that affect his ability to perform and to really grow his own potential, uh, as a non-commissioned officer. And so when you're young, you look up and you want to see some role models. Mm-hmm. And if you see those role models, you start saying to yourself, well, I can, be, I can be less like myself and more like them. And I think that's an important thing to, to take away because you start picking up those habits. That's how our legacy lives on. And uh, it's carried on in all of us as we teach up and down as we uh, matriculate on in our career.
2: Yeah, there's just great leaders out there, sir. And I often said, that if you need an example, look left or right. I bet you can find one and a good one because uh, we've got great leaders out there doing great things every day. Sir, I know we get a time of short, just a few more questions and maybe the biggest one. You've been in command for some time now. What's the biggest challenges you encounter in the Pacific? What, what keeps you up at night?
0: Well, what keeps me up at night are the threats and, uh, and making sure that we are in a position to be able to respond to them to the other part of your question, the challenge. I think the greatest challenge that I've had here is being able to describe inside and outside the command, the criticality and the value of land power in the Indo-Pacific. Again, this is a theater that's named after two oceans. And when you look at the map, there's a lot of blue. So, Uh, automatically, people refer to this theater as a air and maritime theater. And while air and maritime capabilities are absolutely critical uh, to our success, this is a joint theater. And the armies of this region are absolutely central in protecting their people, protecting their national sovereignty. And our role out here, historically, uh, in the past, and today, and well into the future, is the greatest counterweight that we have to uh, China and the adversaries out here is operating with our allies and partners on the land. Humans have this unique tendency to actually live on land, and we, as a land power, have to protect them.
2: Sir, it was a pleasure to have you with us today. Do you have any final thoughts you'd like to share with our listeners?
0: Uh, I guess my final thought is that, you know, I, I would just encourage everyone to uh, we have to continue to train as an army training is going to be the difference between us and everyone else. We can't rest on our laurels. We can't rest on the fact that we've got combat experience from the last two decades. And it takes everyone every day to make sure that they are training themselves, training their small units and training their commands. You know, Sergeant Major, you asked me about quality of life. In my view, the best quality of life program we have is training. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: And the more the Army trains, the better we're going to be against all those threats because it actually increases the chances of every soldier being able to come back alive with mission success.
2: Well, I think that's the perfect note to end this podcast on. I'd like to thank you, General, for coming on the show and telling us more about the lives of soldiers in the Asia-Pacific.
0: Thanks again for having me on here.
2: As Army alums, I can say from all of us across the country, thank you for your incredible service and all you continue to do for our soldiers and our Army. And listeners, I hope you enjoyed this episode, and please join us next week for another great podcast.
1: To all our listeners, thanks for joining us. Be sure to subscribe to the Army Matters Podcast on iTunes and everywhere podcasts are found. The Army Matters Podcast series is brought to you by the Association of the United States Army, the U.S. Army's Professional Association, member-supported, Army-connected. Visit us at AUSA.org for more information or to become a member. Your membership helps AUSA continue to carry out its mission to educate, inform, and connect with the total Army our industry partners, and our supporters of a strong national defense. For questions or to provide topic recommendations, email us at podcast at AUSA.org. Have a great Army Day. Hua.